Welcome, everyone. My name is Michael S. Sieber. You're listening to Equal Chance to Be Unequal, my podcast about unlocking human potential through helping people disconnect it from their purpose, uncover, and live their purpose. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Equal Chance to Be Unequal. I have the pleasure of talking with my guest, Edgar Olivo, today. Edgar is a Hispanic author, award-winning entrepreneur, bilingual business strategist and trainer, social media influencer, business correspondent for Univision Arizona, and future business lawyer, which we're definitely going to have to talk more about. His business students and clients refer to him as the Swiss Army Knife of business skills training. Edgar's work is regularly spotlighted in media outlets such as CNN Latino, the Phoenix Business Journal, Arizona Business Magazine, and Univision Arizona. He recently became a business correspondent for Univision with a podcast show and a Facebook Live program educating viewers on business topics for Spanish-speaking audiences specifically. He also hosts a Spanish and English, his own live podcast called Energize Your Business on Compass CBS social media channels, which we'll give you more information about later. In 2012, Phoenix's mayor at the time, Greg Stanton, honored Edgar with the key to the city of Phoenix for his work on a Hero Veterans Initiative. And he is also the recipient of the 2015 Hispanic Business Salute Award bestowed upon him by Telemundo Arizona and the Arizona Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. In 2016, Edgar was recognized by the East Valley uh, Hispanic Chamber of Commerce with the Community Leader Award and the United States Hispanic Chamber of Commerce recognized his company at their national annual convention. Uh, Over the years, Edgar has served as board member for community organizations such as Marisol Federal Credit Union, Hope's Crossing, Arizona Humanities, the Create Academy, and the East Valley Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Edgar is certified in business, finance, and training, holds a business communication degree, and applied business data analytics certificate from the W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State, And what I love about Edgar is that he's a first-born Mexican-American son of immigrant parents and the eldest of 11 siblings. And we've had so many conversations about him being the eldest of 11 siblings. I just love that part of his story. So with that, Edgar, welcome to today's show. Thank you so much, Michael. It's, It's such a pleasure and such an honor. I'm very excited to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. And thank you for all the work that you've done in the community, because even going through and knowing you for all these years, but then going through and reading that, I was like, oh my gosh, maybe there are things that Edgar's doing that I'm not even aware of, and you and I talk pretty regularly. Right. (laughs) A lot of people say that. What are you doing now? (laughs) That's usually a common question whenever. Yeah. What are you doing? (laughs) So for everybody listening in the pre-show, Edgar and I were talking about our daily habits with regards to exercise and meditation and mindfulness and things like that. So I promise you that even though he's accomplishing a lot, he is caring for himself and his well-being. That I think is important. So Edgar, I gave a little bit of a bio about you, but please fill in the gaps and kind of turn back the clock a little bit to those younger years and walk us forward to today and share your story with us, man. Thank you. Thank you. My family's from a town called Florencia, Zacatecas, which is a state in Mexico that is very, very close to Guadalajara, which is the most famous, one of the most famous cities in Mexico. And that's the way I kind of let people, oh, we're four hours away from Guadalajara, kind of like a flagstaff drive to Phoenix. Hmm. And so very small town, a silver mining town that was just kind of hit really hard by, you know, all of the historic events that happened in Mexico with the conquistadors and the Spanish influence there and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. And so a lot of the residents in that area immigrated north to northern states and, and moved to the border. Majority of that town actually moved to like California, Arizona, Texas, they kind of line up in that area. And, and being the oldest of 11 brothers and sisters, you know, it's, it's hard enough to keep track of their birthdays. But my dad <laughs> is the youngest of 10. So I have uncles and aunts that are way, way older and cousins that I can't even count. And then on my mom's side, she is the oldest of 16. Wow. And you can imagine on that side. So I come from big family, which is, which is great, uh, uh, but it presents its own set of challenges. I think uh, growing up, you know, it was definitely not the easiest thing having family or parents that immigrated to this country in the early 80s. I grew up in Chandler back when it was a farmer town with uh, the sheeps running around in the, on the street, you know, on, on, on Arizona Avenue, just crossing the street like nothing. And now there's a Loop 101 and a Walmart where there used to be sheeps running around. <laughs> and so I got to see all of these changes too in my environment. But 
watching my family go through the challenges that they did to engage economically because of a language barrier, because of not understanding the culture, because of their own educational limit. They had to drop out of school very early. My mom uh, barely completed eighth grade. My dad had to drop out at fifth grade. So they at least knew how to read. They at least knew how to do some basic math to be able to to use that and, and start a life. And so my dad worked at a dairy for a very long time. And he would tell me these stories that they were so poor that at this dairy in, uh, in Queen Creek, there would be chickens running around where the cows would eat. And every now and then he would go and just walk through that uh, area to see where the chickens, if they had laid some eggs and he would grab some eggs from there. There were these cactuses that would be on the side of the road that he would cut some, in Spanish they're called nopales. And they lived in the little trailer that the owner of the dairy let my parents, my mom and dad live in for at least two, three years while they were getting on their feet. And, you know, I think about those humble beginnings and I think about just kind of the, the journey that everyone takes. And number one, I'm, I've never been more grateful than ever in my entire life to have a history like that. My dad bought a little piece of land in Maricopa in my high, junior high school, high school year. So I went from being in the city in my elementary years to now being on a ranch in my high school, in my formative years as an adolescent and then becoming an adult. That was a big shift for me. I remember walking in to a classroom because my, this little ranch, we, my, my mom and dad would put me to work, like a little ranch kid, my entire junior high school and high school year. I was. A, in fact, this is what I tell people. To get to know business Edgar, you have to know rancher Ed. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get to know rancher Ed because I fed horses, I rode horses, I fed chickens, I got their eggs, I would take care of goats. Not only that, we'd also take care of the gardens. And so back in that little ranch, it's literally a little piece of desert in the, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, there was no running water, so we had to uh, carry water in buckets to, to plant, the, you know, to get these plants to grow. And I remember being in sixth or seventh grade, having to take a test the next day, and my hands are just so cracked with callus from carrying all these buckets that I remember leaving blood marks on my exam and telling the wow. teacher, raising my, like, I need another test. And they would give me another test, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm actually bleeding from my hands. This is crazy. I share all of that because that part of my life has become more present in my present and today, because I think about all the things that I'm doing for that kid who was carrying buckets of water and bleeding on tests, that I need to make sure that that kid gets everything that he wanted and he wished for. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing that, Edgar. It's When we think about our journeys, those formative years shape us in so many ways. And what I love about you is that you're willing to share the bits and pieces of that that are really important to your story, but also with the people you serve in the community. My gut tells me is that as you continued on past high school and, and you worked kind of in corporate America for a while, that those skills that you learned through those formative years became really important when you were working corporate too. Yes, yes, very important. I think, you know, when you're immersed in hard work and there's no time for gossip or toxicity around you or, you know, all those other things that create a toxic environment in the corporate world. I actually was able to kind of break through all of that and just get to the point, you know, get to work. Let's just make sure that this works. Let's hit our goals. Through that, I had to teach a lot of people that it's not just something you snap on and, and, and put on a hat when you go into work and say, all right, we're not going to be humans. <laughs> no, we can be humans, but our human energy needs to be directed into accomplishing this task. Mm -hmm. And so through that process, I feel like, you know, I, I know for a fact that how I grew up made me not afraid of hard work. And I think when I work around people, they kind of pick up on that. And so then they roll up their sleeves and, and we just get to work. And then we get to relish and celebrate once a project is done. Uh, students graduate from programs will celebrate because at the very end, that's when we're going to celebrate. We're going to make sure that we accomplish this thing first. And I feel like that's kind of helped people in their business too along the way outside of corporate America, uh, having worked with a lot of small business owners too in just the recent years you know, they lose sight, they lose focus, they, they get caught up in, in the, I call the honeymoon stage of building a business, right? Mm. It's the exciting piece. It's Great like, metaphor. Yeah, everybody's, everybody's excited that you're going on your own. And of course, you're breaking away from the line that everybody's supposed to be on. And then what happens once that honeymoon stage is over? Is this business making you money? Are you making the living that you said you were going to be making? Yeah. Are you getting the book that you said? So now we need to kind of start talking about that. And so I don't shy away from uncomfortable conversations when it comes to people's dreams. And I also don't shy away from hard work when you have to put in the hard work. Yeah. And the experiences that you had when you were younger with having yeah. to care for the animals, having to care mm -hmm. for the plants, 
going into trying to take a test with your hands bloodied. All of those things have really shaped that. If I'm not mistaken, it was 2011 that you started Compass CBS. Could you talk a little bit about how it has morphed and transformed over the years into what it is now? Yeah. In 2011, this is kind of at the tail end of the recession. And during that time, I was working in gaming, working in a, in a casino, and I was one of the gaming directors. So I was the guy in the suit and tie you wanted to see because if you were gambling or you were playing some money, I could make sure you had free drinks, the free hotel room, and free dinners or whatever, because my job was to make sure you put that money right back where you found it. I had a team of 350 employees across two properties. And so we had to keep this vibe and this energy going up, 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 up. And I just started feeling like, okay, everything on the news is saying, why am I making more money than everyone else that I'm watching coming into the casino? There were people gambling their mortgages away. There were people gambling their baby milk formula away. It was not uncommon to hear about situations of what people do to themselves in the vehicle after they've lost everything. There were a lot of things that just hit me on a personal level as to what our services were actually doing to people. And I felt very slimy about that. And not to say that the the casino doesn't do good work. They do do good work. They do invest in a lot of different areas. But for me, in my position, monetary success was not in alignment with what I felt I needed to do in that particular moment in life. And I remember having this conversation with one of my frontline employees. And she said, hey, Eddie, how are you doing? I said, you know... And, I, and this is the first time I actually like lost face. I blurted out, you know, coming to work makes me feel like I, it's eating away at my soul a little bit. Hmm. And I'm telling this, I'm the director, and I'm telling the frontline employee this. She goes, did you just hear what you said? And that was kind of one of those moments where I said, yeah, I, just, I literally just heard what I said. And that's not okay. I need to do something about this. And so I started searching for what was next. I was asked to do an opportunity to train all of my team on customer service so that we can get this AAA four diamond rating we were opening the resort we wanted to be a high class place so i put together this curriculum in 90 days we got the award and i thought i can be doing this for other companies and so the light bulb went off Hmm. after i met a friend of mine who is a corporate trainer herself and has a very successful practice she came in and did a talk and i was just blown away by her presentation it took me six months to build up the courage to ask her hey how did you get to the point where you're at within a day she replied back with a 10-step process. Follow these steps. This is what you got to do. So I committed to that plan that she gave me for at least a year. And then I decided I'm going to put a date on the calendar of when I'm going to cut the ribbon to my office. And that was November 11, 2011, 11, 11, 11. Nice. Speaking to one of my employees who uh, happens to be from Cambodia and studies numerology. And I asked him, I said, look, tell me what, what would be a perfect date? And of course, he knew about the 11, 11, 11 date and how one is an important number. And I decided to stick to that. So Compass was born out of that to help others. And so we decided to kind of start working with corporate companies who wanted the supervisor trainings, who wanted the manager trainings, the employee development trainings. But then somehow my attention about what's going on in the recession, and thanks to you, I'm going to credit this to you. Uh Uh-oh. You pointed us in the direction to work with the Phoenix Workforce Connection to start writing resumes for some of these companies that were laying off tons of employees without resumes who had been working in these companies for many, many years. And I knew that we were writing resumes for people for jobs that didn't exist. I knew we were doing that. And I was hoping the, for the best for these people that I wanted to make sure that their resume was going to be the best resume that they've ever had in their lives. And that was always the feedback that I would get. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I got two interviews. and. They would call me after the fact, and these are city clients, but they would call me to let me know just how well they were doing, and it was just the most fulfilling experience, and it was our first government contract as a company after I left the casino. That work led me to to connect with other folks who were doing economic development work, and I thought, okay, well, what else can I do? And I started working with the libraries, doing free business resource programs where I would volunteer my time on the side, and that eventually led me to work with the city of Phoenix to do a business development program it was only a contract for a year. They wanted only 150 programs. They wanted just free resources. I said, all right, I'll put together this curriculum. It's called the Business Roadmap Program. But if I do it in Spanish, would you guys let me do it? I won't charge you anymore. I know the grant's already allocated a certain amount of funding, but I'm willing to double up my time because I have it just to see what would happen if I do it in Spanish. Hmm. And they said, sure, 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 let's do it. We'd love to engage the Spanish-speaking community. So I did it. And in one year, we hit about 3,000 people with education. Dang. 50 businesses that came out of that program, many of which still are in contact with us through some of our programs. And so it kind of like put me on this road temporarily to work with family-owned businesses, the small business community, and kind of really giving them some of my corporate expertise and bringing it into the small business environment. Uh, Fast forward, 
couple of years later to, to today, we've already worked with over 16,000 businesses just in the Valley. Many of them are micro entrepreneurs, stay at home moms who sell cakes, or maybe an electrician who has a team of six people. But those are all businesses. Those are all businesses that are contributing now to the economy. They're now letting me know that they're hiring their first employees. Some of them are getting their first government contract. Some of them are now engaging in other higher level programs that give them access to other resources. And, and that was a big focus for a long time while doing the corporate training and working with some of the larger nonprofits and doing the employee development. The need for small business development became so great that we decided to invest this year in online education, doing business content more online, because what I found working with so many small business owners is that they're on social media quite a bit. They use Facebook quite a bit, especially if they're promoting their business. Well, why not get in front of them on their phone and give them a little bit of education along the way? But I started it about two years ago with a tripod and a phone in our office. And we would get about 60 to 70 people at a time, a live audience with a phone rec- recording this conversation yeah. of, of what I would talk about of, you know, this is how you read a profit and loss statement. And, and now I have a city official that is going to share with you how the government works. And here, I brought somebody from this organization here. I'm going to bring an immigration attorney to talk about the issues that are going on. And so I would bring on all these folks and it started drawing a lot of attention to our social media channel that now we invested in a studio where in North Scottsdale, we've got a little studio where now we're. I have my cameras, my lights, so I can just get on the camera, put out the education, you know, work with some of our key partners who want to advertise with us, who have key business resources that we want to promote, that we endorse and trust. And at the same time, we're working with uh, enterprises doing Microsoft training. We're doing all kinds of leadership training as well for some of the key managers. We're working with one nonprofit in particular that's opening up 10 schools over the next 10 years. So we're going to be their key employment training outsource provider. All these opportunities came along the way. And when you ask me, what's our journey and how did it all start? It's an interesting winding road. (laughs) road. (laughs) Yeah, that's the great thing about people who live extraordinary lives is that there never is that straight line that goes through everything. There is always the ups and the downs and having to swim through rivers and having to figure out how to climb mountains and cross the Grand Canyon, right? All these things that end up happening in a person's life. But through all of the things that you've shared, Edgar, there's definitely a resilience and a belief in yourself that I admire, but also this belief in other people in that you saw something happening in your previous corporate experience that there was a disconnect between your personal values and what it is that you really wanted to do in the community. And you consciously made an adjustment and change that drastically changed your income. It made you change your lifestyle. And now all of a sudden, here we are just a handful of years later and you can have impact and you gave the statistic just a second ago you're like hey i've touched 16,000 entrepreneurs so micro entrepreneur entrepreneur 16,000 plus people and businesses have been impacted by your ideas and that is no small feat thank you michael you saying that is is important to hear because when you're in the weeds and just like any other professional who's working and there's a lot of colleagues i admire you for your work as well you forget about that yeah you do <laughs> you forget yep. oh man there is more people it's, I, I used this example the other day in class. I said, you know, it's, I, I see myself like a carpenter. I'm constantly just hitting that nail, building a, you know, one brick at a time. And the next thing you know, I turn back. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's an entire village that I just built. I just had that moment uh, a couple of months ago when I made this, this transition to, to our new office that I'm literally kind of a little bit of a higher elevation and I can look down over to the Phoenix Valley and I'm like, I wonder what 16,000 businesses looks like mm. if I were to do a heat map. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> and that was kind of my my carpenter looking at his village moment. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Uh, 16,000 uh, businesses, people, or you know, communities of people, right? There's, that's a lot of folks. And so when you think about your ideal client or Compass CBS and their ideal client, describe the ideal client. Like, what does that look like? So all of those micro entrepreneurs that I referred to and all of that work that we did, we didn't make a lot of money out of that. And it really was more driven around how can we fill this need? What is the need? Let's test this. Let's test this idea. And it's it kind of led us to uh, now we've opened a nonprofit. So now we're fundraising to keep that, that those programs going because we found that, you know, culturally, there's also a disconnect in, in monetarily investing in education. And I get that. I get where that comes from. You know, some people don't see the true value of investing in education when it comes to like forking out the money to pay for it. And I think once we, you know, I think through our nonprofit, we're going to be able to lift that idea that the more you invest in yourself, because that's really what we're trying to say, invest in yourself 
and you'll see the result, and you'll see the result even magnified because you're investing in yourself first. And one of our key successful programs that, that we launched on our own, it's called the Compass Club. Uh, it, it attracted about 128 businesses where they would pay, you know, their $99 a month fee and come to classes every month, but you know, they get as, enough education as, as far as they could get, and, and it would break our heart when they would leave classes because they would say, oh, you know, I just, I just can't pay $99 a month anymore. And it made me wonder, okay, well, how are they prioritizing? So now culturally there's a priority issue that we want to look at through our nonprofit, and if we can get subsidy through some of the larger organizations that already give uh, funding to projects like this, then we're gonna use that route. Our ideal client on our for-profit side are typically organizations who have 50 employees or more, and we develop programs that are usually five months at a time or six months at a time to educate and give certificates to managers and leaders who want to build up their own kind of continuing education uh, credits where companies invest in continuing education. So we've become a solution around that. And with our studio, we're putting out a lot of business content education. It's a fairly new kind of territory for us, the advertising world. And so we're also trying to attract organizations that invest in a similar community that say, look, we want to help like insurance providers or accountants or lawyers who understand the needs of the community and, you know, attract them to get, you know, to sponsor a program so that we can get their voice out as well. Yeah, there's definitely, as you mentioned a couple minutes ago, this really big push towards the decentralization of information because we have the internet, we have all these social media channels that allow for the distribution of information for free basically anywhere. And that's a beautiful thing yeah. because it does allow for us to find ways to be able to distribute information to people that may not have been able to receive it before or give them access to something that they might not have known about before. So it's a beautiful thing. And it's also a really, really tremendous tool to help many of your for-profit and or not-for-profit clients around helping them get their businesses up and going. So I love the minor shift in strategy away from being really, really significantly focused on this kind of beta test of understanding what is it that a Spanish-speaking population really, really wants to do with regards to continuing education for themselves or potentially entrepreneurship for themselves. And obviously you tested the market, you know it's there, and now you're going to engage the community more meaningfully to make sure that they're helping to subsidize and pay for some of that. But at the yeah. same time, you know, kind of reintroducing and making sure that you're tapping into those roots of the values that we talked about a few minutes ago of you really love to help people directly. And so whether it's you or members of your team actually facilitating the training, delivering those certificates, giving people the skills that were so critical. And I love the connection back to something that you said when we first got on the show, Edgar, was your dad was only fifth grade educated and your mom yeah. was only eighth grade educated. And, yeah. and I love that there's so much about you that you've finished high school, done a lot with regards to college. And as we, we mentioned in the kind of introduction, like you want to do a lawyer, you are, you're going back to school to become a lawyer. So seeing that your parents kind of stopped education at relatively young ages, you are definitely continuing education for the vast majority of your life. And you're making sure that you're providing education to anybody who could possibly want it. And I just think that's very commendable. Thank you. As I, as I think about it too, a lot of the folks who have, were coming to our programs when we had the center in downtown Phoenix, there were a couple of months where I, I kind of got personal. It, it, got, it got personal in the sense that the stories that they would tell me about what they went through. I had a gentleman who's 65 years old who came and you know he, he was a retired plumber, 65 years old, all of his kids are grown. He came to me with tears in his eyes at the end of a class and he said, you know, uh, Edgar, I dropped out of school too when I was in fourth grade and this is my way of going back to school. And when he said that to me, I just immediately, again, I, a lot of the things that I do too are, are, are around kind of watching the struggles that my parents went through. I, my mom, I, I tell all my banker friends and all of my insurance friends and all of my legal friends and even folks who work in the judicial system. I know how it all works because since nine years old, my mom and dad would drag me there to translate every single thing that, <laughs> that they needed to do. So uh, I watched how language facilitated their engagement in the economy, and that's why we decided to invest in Spanish education. Mm. We saw that there were a lot of families, too, that just because of the language barrier, they wouldn't engage in a, in a meaningful way in the economy, like investing or understanding what 401ks are, or understanding how this works, or, you know, just putting all that together in their native language has a tremendous effect. My, my father passed away in 2006. 
my mother's still around, and now she's one of my biggest fans. She shares every video that I put out <laughs> because she's trying to get her her friends and her colleagues to watch as well. And she tells me she's you know she's like I sit in front of my phone watching you, and it's she goes I'm in your classes. She goes I know you think of me. She goes but I'm in your classes literally. I'm in your classes. I'm like this is this is a good full circle moment. Yeah, that is so true, and I, I love that. So then give me a little context, Edgar, about why being a business lawyer is important and how does it fit into the fold with the rest of the stuff you're doing? So this is a story I've never shared, so you're getting an exclusive. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) When I was younger, my dad didn't make all of the best choices. I think his choices were always directed to, to help us in a way help the family in a way. I mean, he had 11 kids. I mean, who, you know, I don't know. I can't, I cannot imagine being twenties, thirties. And then he, he, he passed away when he was 43, getting to 43 with already 11 kids. He's had successful businesses. He's had failed businesses. He's had jobs, he's been fired of jobs. So he's always tried and he always tried, but he never had focus for what is it that he wanted. And that was something that I, you know, to this day, you know, you think about, you know, when a parent is not no longer around, like, I wish I could have this conversation with him. But so he used to say, you know, you should, you should, you know, and my family calls me Gary, daddy, daddy, you should become a lawyer so you can help your family get out of problems. You should become a lawyer to help your family to get out of problems. And I, I remember fighting, not, not fighting, but arguing. I'm like, that's not why I want to become a lawyer. I want to become a lawyer to actually help people, not get people out of problems. <laughs> bad choices you know yep like if there's injustices happening that's where i want to be involved and so that was kind of like a pinned idea early in my formative years but it really came out when this our current president uh did the muslim ban and i just i was thinking about this the other day like what really made me turn my attention to becoming a lawyer it was watching the news one day watching the hundreds of people stuck at an airport because they couldn't get into the country that they've lived in for many years and who were the first responders that went to that situation? It was the lawyers. The lawyers went out there. They were the ones who were helping people get back in. You know, they, they saw a huge injustice. The ACLU or all these organizations raised millions of dollars to, to help this particular situation. And they managed to get a lot of people back to connected to their families. And it's not an area that I want to get into law, but it was what they did and how the, the level of power or influence or ability or whatever you want to call it that comes with becoming a lawyer what they were able to do with that that is something that really drives me how can i get not just my words but my signature to also have a meaningful impact in people's lives yeah you're certainly already having massive quantities of impact as it stands now but to be even more educated in specific areas for these individuals in those very desperate times of need makes total sense i love that that is a thing that is a theme that's kind of tying throughout your life as you mentioned earlier Life is oftentimes a series of ups and downs and changes and things that we don't necessarily understand. There's that loose drawn line between some of those things that happened for you and against you and to you when you were young till now to say, I really, really want that to happen, not only for my family and my friends and my close colleagues, but also when those really significant things happen in the community or around the nation or around the globe, I want to be one of the first responders there to help them. I just think that's beautiful. Yeah, and I, I think about the amount of people that want to contribute to our economy, you know, and, and I study economics, I study pop culture, I, I study actual, you know, culture in, in different uh, countries. I study how entrepreneurism is developed in other countries, like the Somalian country, really, the Somalian people are just amazing. There's, there's this entrepreneurial drive that is so embedded in their day-to-day. Somalia is run by entrepreneurs. There's no government. It's being run by entrepreneurs. The moral system is being run by a religious, the religious faith. And, you know, you start thinking about, you know, well, how do businesses or entrepreneurs, how does that influence the way our environments are shaped, the way belief systems are shaped? And, you know, I, I've always been drawn into seeing how foreign investors who want to contribute into an economy willfully, you know, willingly and, and, and lovingly, and they're faced with so many challenges that an attorney can help them with drafting up contracts, you know, uh, negotiations. And I just see myself being at that table between a president and the head of a corporation and ensuring that they're meeting the people, profit, planet philosophy. Nice. Triple bottom line. I'm like, I want to be a guard around those three peaks. Yeah. Those three peaks are so critical. And so thankfully in America, maybe globally, but I know for sure in America, the conscious capitalism movement and the three P's, people, planet, profit, 
those yep. things are becoming far more accepted and kind of used yep. as the standard by which good business is conducted. And yeah. I just think that's a really critical thing. And I'm really grateful that yeah. society has raised its level of consciousness enough to know that we should be doing business yeah. that way and not purely to serve a shareholder, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And yeah. there's something to be said with regards to what you just said, Edgar, about uh, there are people all over the, the globe that really desperately want to be in America and they have incredibly good hearts and they want to be here because this is the land of freedom and opportunity and possibility. And wherever they're at, they don't have that. And they would like to be able to do that here. And it sounds like you're designing your life and your career and your business around the possibility of being able to help them in some way. Now, yeah. you know, Compass CBS obviously does a lot of different things, but that's one that in the next couple of years, as it becomes uh, real and you can now begin to offer that as a service, I think it's going to be great. When, when you think about Compass CBS as it stands now and you're going and kind of we're focused a little bit on like this for-profit line that you have around driving certificate programs and training and doing things to up-level a person's skills. What do you do to really truly add value to an organization that's looking to hire you in that way? So I, I, when I'm sitting with a, with a decision maker about our services, I usually say, look, we, we want to help grow your business by helping grow your people. The education system has kind of failed us in a way. This idea of institutionalized learning where you should only learn this, you should only learn that, um, doesn't really add value to the market as businesses who need skilled workforce, right? They need a skilled workforce to understand customer service. And that's pretty much, I look at customer service as people dynamics, you know, true communication and caring and empathy and all these other things that are kind of stripped away in an educational system because you're kind of taught to pass a test. And I usually when I'm when I'm speaking to an organization who, who, who has maybe a lot of frontline employees, I say, look, our trainings are going to hopefully influence not just the mind and teach them skills that they can learn on their own by Googling, but also influence their hearts, really get them to connect to a mission so that you are meeting the three P values that we can maybe help you reduce turnover or maybe even help you enhance productivity or help you do all these things that I know you're trying to invest in your most important asset, which is your employees. And so mm. we come with that expertise to help pull out that potential in people and, and direct that energy to the organization so that they can contribute more and be more productive and also, of course, love what they do. Yeah, we really want people to love what they do. We don't want them to just be workhorses. We want you to love the work that you do. And they absolutely should. And I've shared this on the podcast before and via my blogs and some other places. According to Gallup in their 2017 State of the American Workplace report, only 33, possibly 34 percent of the American workforce, which is roughly 156 million people, only 33 percent of them like their work, meaning they're engaged. It's just such a it's such a low number. And so I love that, Edgar, what you and your team are doing are really trying to not only advance the people that are part of the 33%, but also to take maybe that 67% and get a percentage of them to become part of and grow the 33% in a meaningful way. Yes. And we, you know, this is, this is where my analytical side comes in. So I love numbers. I love statistics. I love measuring impact through numbers. So, and I also love personal and professional development. I love merging the two. It's, it's, it's kind of the reason why I got a business communication degree. I really wanted to make sure I had the business foundation concepts down, not only through experience, but through education, and then also communication, which is the entire process of human engagement, and making sure that I understand that those two worlds must live together and they must live well together in order for an organization to succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the authenticity of that. I just think that more and more and more, our society is moving to a place of the individual's authenticity, what really makes him or her, him or her, needs to be shown. And I think what your training programs do is say, hey, here's who you are. Here's your personal mission. Here's the things that make you happy. Maybe here's your core values. Here are your strengths. Here are your talents. Here are the things that we're going to expand upon in a meaningful way. And then really look for that direct link between those beautiful things about that individual and then find that direct link to where those skills can be best utilized inside the organization. Because I think that the point of happiness or engagement happens when the individual's core values and personal mission and authenticity really aligns with the organization's mission and core values and whatever makes its culture authentic. And I think it's that link is where most organizations are struggling right now is that they're not doing a very good job of creating that link and showing the employees where that link exists. And I think that if they did that, 
they'd be in a much better place. You think about how communities are formed or how people feel uh, connected to a community. You either have to do something to contribute to a community to feel a part of that community. And when we look at our programs too, you know, adding to what you just said, I really look at it as, as we're building a work community where everyone's contributing, everyone has a stake, everyone has a way to, to feel validated and a way to feel like their work matters and that there are leaders who recognize that because that's what's going to propel the work community to grow. And so I really kind of look on the, the work that we did in the net, like in, outside of the workplace, in communities, bringing those concepts also into a workforce to build work communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. So obviously as Compass CBS and even your life has, has gone, gone through these beautiful changes and you've been able to impact, you know, in the last couple of years, 16,000 entrepreneurs, micro-entrepreneurs, and now really building back up the kind of certificate kind of training area and really thinking about the way that we're going to do that is by up-leveling the skills of your employees and making sure that they feel that strong connection to your organization so that the employee engagement grows they stay with you longer, right? The retention and all those yeah. things are, are happening. What, what do you think the actual impact then is on the team, right? So you've done the training for this respective team. What is the impact then after they've gone through that training on the individual and for the organization? So the impact is that usually at the end of, of a cohort training with a, with a group that we've worked with for maybe five months, there's a shift in perspective about what they actually do. And they'll tell me, you know, I never really looked at my job this way, or, you know, I'm excited to come to work now. They'll say things like that. And to me, those are indicators of something deeper, right? Something deeper, not just on the surface of like, all right, well, they, they clocked in on time and they're clocking out on time. They're saving you hours there. They're, they're, there's less write-ups in the workplace because people are getting along better. You know, those are all great and those are all very important because those are costly and you definitely want to impact the bottom line at the end of the day. But I look at the, sh- the shift in perspective and looking at maybe maybe our managers that sat through our trainings, they probably heard the concepts, they knew the leadership concepts or the management skills, they've been through so much training, but now when we come in, it's like it's like a spirit is lifted. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and, it's, and it's all of a sudden the, the eyes are lifted from the textbook out into their environment and now they're applying and practicing what they're learning. And to me, that is so important to be able to shift someone from just reading a book to actually doing what was in the book. Yeah, I agree with that. And there's something to be said for that experiential learning that you phrased it well earlier when you said, hey, the education system today, it does well at helping us with specific skill sets. And and the, the way that it was structured back in the you know mid to late 1800s, it was very effective for getting people from the farming community into the workplace, right? It was yeah. very effective mm-hmm. at that. So right. now we've moved to a place in society where just rote memorization learning, it, it just doesn't matter anymore because we have access to the World Wide Web and we can gain access to anything you could ever possibly want to know within right. seconds. And so now it's not about what you can remember, it's about application and execution. And right. most people forget that or they think that by going and, and just wanting to learn something but then not immediately applying it, it, you can't not apply it, it has to be applied. The experiential yeah. learning piece is so critical. So critical. And I look at training as a craft. I look at this as my craft. Education is, is my craft. And like any craft, right, you want to see it in action. I've been in training exercises, you know, where they get you all pumped up, they give you the information. But what I think I got this word from you, the trainer's high, which is, you know, the, the excitement after the training and then everyone goes right back to their money. Yeah, yep. And that's not our style. We don't like just dumping information and jetting, you know, and collecting a check at the end of the day. That's not our style. Our style is to be deeply embedded and, and looked at as a key vehicle to help you drive the results that you want. We really want to be there for, for the long term so that we can actually analyze the shift in, in action steps and how that impacts in the long run. And another concept that I wanted to bring up too, you know, uh, financial literacy is something that is also very important to me because if you think about in the education system, when they teach us about money, they tend to put that subject in like math courses, right? They put it in the math, like in the math subject, economics, money tends to be in the math. But really it's a psychological element. I think it's more psychological than it is mathematical because you know math is a new invention to the human species, right? And so it's complicated. So that's why a lot of people don't understand math. And now you throw money in there in the math subject and it's gonna be even more confusing. And so people tend to get fearful about 
managing money, understanding money, understanding investments, understanding impact on bottom lines, understanding all those things kind of tend to go to what's easiest, right? So people shy away from talking to financial advisors because they're afraid or they have shame, which is really embedded in society. And I think about how do we get people to feel comfortable about talking about money mm -hmm. and their investment and understanding how the, the movement of money and how it works. If people understand that, then they'll know also how to use their skills to maximize their value in the economy, right? And then also organizations, if they understand that their employees don't understand financial literacy, we also even offer that as, as a solution. We'll say, hey, we can talk about this. We can teach them about how to shift their belief systems into a more productive set of beliefs so that they can be more smart with their money. And, you know, of course, if they're not stressed out about money, they're going to be more focused about their energy. You know, they're going to be more focused on how they're using their energy at your organization. Yeah, I, I really do agree with that. And it's it's funny that the, the conversation has come to this point because when you and I were in the pre-show, we were talking about how energy and all the things associated with feelings actually impact our everyday life. I'll mention it now just for everybody listening is that there's a great book by a lady named Carol Truman. It's called Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. And as of this recording, I'm only 100 pages or so in but it's a really, really good look at those those things that Edgar just referenced around fear and the emotion and the feelings that we have and how they either catapult us to great levels of opportunity and success or they're like anchors and they just hold us back because we don't feel comfort or confidence to be able to ask people questions that we don't know the answers to. And I always looked at asking people questions and asking questions of others as though it was like placing that individual on a pedestal and honoring them and their knowledge. And so it never occurred to me that asking people questions was a bad thing. I was like, hey, gosh, Edgar has all this knowledge that he has amassed over a beautiful life. And I want to be able to learn some of that. So why not just ask the question? Sure, the question might seem silly to others, but I want to honor his knowledge. And so why not just ask the question and receive the knowledge from him and then feel that sense of comfort or confidence to be able to go forward and do the things we actually desire to do? Yeah. I love that. So yeah. it is. Uh, so feelings buried alive never die. Carol Truman, check it out if it's something that you would like to explore. So clearly, Edgar, right? Feelings, emotions, these things can step in our way often. You're right because the management of money isn't so much the the numbers associated with the money because you can have ten million, you can have a million, you can have ten dollars. Doesn't really matter how much you have. Happiness is not triggered based on the amount of money you have. Uh, so yeah. it really is a psychological thing. And how you view money as a means to an end, not necessarily the end, is, is really important. I grew up in a very Catholic home, and you know, I was told growing up that a, rich, a poor person will get into heaven before a rich person. Hmm. And I thought to myself, I'm like, how does that play in my favor if I'm trying to, you know, be a good person, but not necessarily, you know, not not to say that being poor is a bad thing. I mean, you know, there's so many situations that go along with poverty, but. Uh, have you ever had a credit card den uh, denied when you're trying to pay something at a convenience store at a restaurant feeling of uncomfortable at that particular moment you feel so no 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 uh, maybe I put in the wrong pin or let me give you another card you know you don't want that person to think that you're poor mm -hmm. so now that shame around poor to me is really bad <laughs> and so there, yeah. there are clearly that these challenges are huge because you with your clients and certainly me with my clients deal with with fear and not feeling in comfort with taking specific action and so when you think about why an organization or a person is going to call Compass CBS, it's likely because they have some challenges that they're struggling with, right? So what are those challenges or, or why are they calling you? So they'll call us and they'll say, you know, Edgar, we, first of all, they'll say, um, usually it's, uh, oh, uh, we've got a handful of employees that need training on customer service. Okay, great. So let's go have a consultation. We'll assess. All right where are the challenges coming from and if it be, if it's something that's more ingrained in the in the work culture in the in the space then we start providing a little bit more solutions so we'll start off with with a particular area that an organization sometimes organizations don't even know what the problem is mm -hmm. sometimes they'll call us they'll they know they need their employees to be trained they know we offer all these programs but they don't know how we put them together for them and that's usually where we have that first conversation all right let's let's kind of dig deep here and what's going on and how is that impacting this area and this okay here's what we recommend we're going to put a series of classes together we're going to measure how they're doing here are the questions we're going to ask on the evaluations here are the homework assignments we're going to be giving your employees give us permission to follow up with them and that's really at the end of the day how we do our work 
and we've had great success around other organizations that we've been working with now for years and we just keep watching them hire and hire more employees and for us that's a good thing because as long as they're growing we're going to always have a job and we're mm-hmm. always going to be making people grow and develop as well so it's usually around staff related issues when we had the small business development center in downtown phoenix it was around starting a business how do i get this thing off the ground or uh, you know i need to pick up a quickbooks class things like that so those are more focused on business owners who need the skills to manage their business uh, i'm launching another book called uh, the business launcher in spanish lanzador de negocios and so basically it's a three-part book that has all of my advice all of the tips and tricks and websites and how much this license costs and here's a business plan template and here's how you're going to read a financial statement you should check out this website so the first part focuses on all the legalities of the business the second part focuses on all the the fundamental accounting concepts that you need to learn that you don't necessarily need to be an expert at accounting but managing your finances here are some very fundamental things you need to focus on and then the third part is how do you how do you start creating sales here's some ideas for you to measure and track what you invest in in marketing so that you can start driving some sales so this book came out last week it's our solution to that entire massive population who wants that information and we put it in a book and so that's kind of how we've also shifted the service to a product so that we have materials that people can actually take home and read and study and write in and then follow up with us when they're done with the materials yeah super powerful and congratulations for getting that done that's awesome thanks it was tough. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. You and I are both really, really creative. I happen to be a little bit more introverted and you a little bit more extroverted. So your creativity comes out likely a little bit more on stage and with people and you know doing the trainings and things like that. I love to write. And so I could sit somewhere for hours and hours and hours and just sit there and come up with all these resources and, and smash them together in some meaningful way. And oh my God, I read everything you write. I read everything you write. You're an amazing writer. Thank you. It's... Uh-huh. I need so I need to follow in your footsteps, Edgar. I need to be publishing more content via books. Oh man, I mean, your posts are so meaningful that all you have to do is literally just kind of save those drafts, put them in a memoir or some <laughs> kind of chapter collection. And here's a, a taste of leadership series. There we go. That's such a great <laughs> yeah. idea. Thank you for that. Yeah. Next year in the calendar year 2019, I'll be doing a couple of new revenue lines and things in my business, and so I'm gonna have to add launching a book to the list of goals for next year because if not, Edgar's gonna hunt me down. I will. <laughs> <laughs> because I will be ready to get your books. And yeah, thank you. So clearly the folks that you're serving, right, whether it's fears, it's not wanting to be shamed, it's the maybe there's trainings around customer service, there's other staff-related concerns, there's employee engagement content. I love the process, right? Go into an organization, benchmark the current state, really think about what is the content that needs to be delivered, make sure they're doing their homework, keep those metrics going to make sure that they're transparently moving forward. And then at the end, assess. And I think what you said also, which was brilliant, is that you stay in touch with them for long periods of time. And that really, that level of accountability is really critical, is that if they keep hearing the same message repeatedly from you or your team, then that's really powerful because it becomes a part of their everyday nomenclature and vernacular. And then all of a sudden, they just want to keep doing that because they've been inspired by the things you taught them it helps them to not go back to the way that they always used to do things. It keeps them focused on the new way they wish to do things. Yes, exactly. There's one student in, in class said, Edgar, why don't you get some of those rubber bands, those rubber bracelets? What would Edgar do? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, that's an idea. <laughs> that is a scary proposition for everybody listening. We got- I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's the times that I've sat down and and met with Edgar and talk about these things. There has never been a time that I have been scared. So he has tremendous, tremendous ideas. And as you can tell from the last, you know, 45 minutes or so of our dialogue, that the ideas that he has around growth and development and betterment for our community and personal growth and development for himself and how he continues education, like it's very profound. And the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have been impacted by him are likely now carrying a piece of that with them. And I I think that's a really important thing for us to remember, Edgar, is that even though we want to look at ourselves and say, gosh, you know what, I I didn't hit this particular metric or I didn't do this particular thing. But like you said a second ago, you move to this office that sits higher elevation wise, you can look down on the city and all of a sudden now you're like, gosh, there are 16,000 plus people and organizations down there that have been touched by me in some way. 
And now they're going to take that information and go share it with 100 people themselves. And so the impact is more profound than we could probably ever imagine. From the stuff that you've done in your teenage years to the corporations that you worked with for a while to now, you know, Compass uh, from 2011 until now, there there has to have been uh, some really, really key quality relationships. I think about social connectedness and I think about relationships and I, mentors, coaches, people around you, you know, talk a little bit about some of those key people along your journey that have really helped to keep you focused in on the various things that you've been able to accomplish in such a short period of time. Yes. Mentors are key for everything. I, I by no means am the first one to tell everyone in a classroom, I don't know everything. I work with great, great mentors who give me great, great advice, ask very great questions that allow me to reflect and allow me to become the product of my own product. And I think that's really important. You want to be the product of your own product, especially if you're working in professional development. You want to make sure you're also professionally developing yourself. And so one of my key mentors when I first started, his name is Rich, 40 years my senior doing similar work with, uh, with the U.S. Army and the military branches, doing you know training, professional development for some of the sergeants and colonels and things like that. And I remember, and in fact, I, that's a relationship that started at the casino. He was one of our, we called him our investors, not our high rollers, we called him our investors. He and I just immediately clicked and I kind of whispered in his ear, hey, I'm thinking about starting a training company. I didn't know at the time what he did. I never asked what anybody does and how they get their money. That's just kind of like a thing I don't like to do, especially if they're a customer. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so, but in this case, when I told him that I wanted to get into training, it kind of perked his ears up and he says, well, tell me more. And I started telling him more. We had coffee. Turns out he does similar work. He's been doing it for 40 years. And he gave me some of the best advice I've ever received in my entire life. He said, Edgar, your first five formative years in your business, you need to focus 100% on letting your work speak for itself. Hmm. He goes, don't worry about getting your name on billboards and on the side of buses or anything like that. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. That's not real marketing. He said, the real marketing is letting your work speak for itself. And ever since then, I've taken that advice, document some of the journey and the things that I've been able to accomplish because that's important. People need to know what you've been able to do and execute and things like that. But I, I take pride in the work, and that's kind of the thing that he taught me. Take pride in what you do. Make sure you're valuing it, uh, uh, putting the value that the market is willing to bear for it, and keep going, keep growing. And that was a really good piece of advice. I since then, I just uh, that's that's been something that I follow. There was another person that influenced my life. This other three three key pieces that are so simple, so so standard, but have the most impact in a lot of many different areas of life. She was a cancer survivor, built an amazing insurance, a huge insurance company. I haven't spoken to her in, in a couple of years, so I don't know where she's at. I've kind of lost touch with her, but I will never forget the words that she said. I told her too. I whispered in her ear, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business. And she said, okay. And I said, and I want to reach a level of success that you've reached because I saw her go through her health journey and I saw, I see her keeping a smile on her face and I see her still working at it. And she said, you're, if you follow these three pieces of advice, she says, you're going to do very, very well in business. And she said, the first piece of advice, always show up on time. She says, always, always show up on time. If you tell someone you're going to be there, you better be there at least 10 minutes earlier, you know, because time is critical. You have to respect other people's agendas and you have to respect your own agenda. And so for me, the concept of time early in my formative business years as a business owner myself was critical, you know, making sure I had a business hours because when you're solo entrepreneur, it's really easy to work from home and then just turn on the TV and all right, I'm just going to hang out and oh, I'll get that done tomorrow. It's really easy to just slip into that if you don't stick to a schedule. So setting business hours for myself and then setting business hours in general and then of course committing to deadlines, deliveries and all these things that became very important. The other piece of advice that she gave me was she said, always keep your promises. She goes, your word is going to be so important. So if you say you're going to do it, do it. If you can't do it, be honest about it and say you can't do it. She says, don't overpromise. Uh, your word is everything. Keeping your promise is very important. And then the third piece of advice she said to me was, be the best at what you do. She goes, become the expert. Know everything there is to know about your industry. Get to know your industry inside and out so that you don't misstep and and it helps you kind of build a good profitable business model when you become an expert in your industry not just in your subject but also in how other companies in your industry are building businesses and so that has become 
three pieces of advice that I've shared in almost every single class and even in workforce classes, you know, working with employees, not just business owners, I tell them these are just critical. And if you build your work habits around stuff like that, then everything else becomes easier, mm. you know, it becomes managed. It becomes, you know, you're now not having to save face with someone that because you were running late. You're now not having to save face because you didn't deliver on what you promised. You know, you're now not trying to save face because you don't know what you're talking about when you're trying to sell to a customer, right? You're relieving pressures by following these simple, simple concepts. And, you know, of course, you had a major impact <laughs> in my life before, Michael. You said something to me in one of our first meetings. In fact, I remember how we met, too. I'll, if you don't mind, I'll share this story. Please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember starting, this is literally when I started our Facebook page. I didn't know what Facebook was, what was social media. You know, this is early too uh, when I started Compass, and I remember there was a, I, I had maybe twelve likes on my page, and one of those likes happened to be from you, and I I wanted to explore your page, and I saw that you were doing executive coaching and getting into the you know a workforce career, and I was reading your profile, I'm like, I need to meet him. How do I meet him? <laughs> and so I reached out to you. We had our coffee, and you said something that to this day I give credit to you everywhere I go you said and and this is based around fears of starting something new fears of starting a business fears of all these things and which is uh, I think an area where you and I connected on that day you said my fear of mediocrity is greater than my fear of entrepreneurship <laughs> and I will never forget that Michael I will never forget that yeah. and to, that is also kind of a thought that I bounce back to quite often when I want to give up mm. there are times I give up you yep. know there are times that I'm so tired or maybe I'm tired of this, tired of that, or I don't see the flow, or I, whatever. That happens, and it's it's a roller coaster, right? And there are times you just want to throw in the towel. But I think to, I think to myself, no, <laughs> I'm more afraid of being the guy who quits, you know, than the guy who keeps going. Yeah, I, I love so. that. Thank you so much for for sharing that, Edgar. It's it. Yeah. I don't know when it hit me. There were numerous times in my teenage years and in my early twenties where. I felt very average and I didn't feel like I was making a difference and I felt like I was meant for more. And I'm very grateful that the Thunderbird School of Global Management allowed me to be a student there in 2008 and I met a coach there and she set me down the very different path that I'm on now. And there was just something about the experiences that I had at Thunderbird and the people that I met from around the globe and the, the faculty there. But there's something about there that I remember thinking of that phrase or that statement and really allowing it to guide and drive a lot of my decision making. And like you, Edgar, I still use it to do a lot of the things that I do today because I certainly have many fears around my business and its growth and what what is it meant to accomplish and you know how many more years of life do I have, like all these things. But there really is something to be said for you have to have that thing that drives you. And sometimes it's a hero, right? It's the person we look up to and want to become like. But sometimes it's also the anti-hero, right? It's the thing that we don't want to be. And I don't want to just be some guy that gets swept under the rug and doesn't make a difference and doesn't help society in a meaningful way. So the anti-hero oftentimes drives me as much, if not more, than a hero, if you will. So Edgar, thank you so much for sharing that about Rich or the woman who owned the insurance business or, or for honoring me in that way. I, I appreciate it. When we think about resources that we we refer like you just gave a great one right you just published this book the business launcher are there other resources that you've relied on or kept an eye on or make recommendations of to your corporate clients i want to be able to share those with the audience in a meaningful way so they can check them out themselves yeah so i do a lot of reading as well like i know you you read a lot i i listen to podcasts i i try to kind of soak in 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 this type of conversation often because there's so many stories that are that are just they have so many key lessons that you need to pick up I admire Darren Hardy, you know, the founder of Success Magazine, and he wrote the book, The Compound Effect. That has played such a big role in my life. You know, it's funny because it's kind of like a fine line between promoting this idea that once you become an entrepreneur, you're automatically successful. And I'm very careful to make sure that I never give off that kind of brand because I, I, you can't promise success. You have to build it for yourself. But there are some fundamental concepts. To me, The Compound Effect is a book that I recommend, and it's a simple message small smart steps done over time will lead you to your goal every single time you know i think of like at the beginning of the year when everybody is trying you know especially me after eating all those tamales at my mom and <laughs> i worry when i get back to my my home to put on those suits i'm like oh if that button closes i'm gonna be so happy <laughs> button doesn't close up so, you know I, I know like a lot of people at the beginning of the year that becomes a resolution right 
And then what happens at March? You know, all these gyms make so much money over these memberships. And then what happens in March? They decline. They, the memberships start to drop. And it's because there's this idea that if you go hard fast at the beginning, you're going to see results faster. And that's not necessarily true. Right. Yeah. It's that person who's at that elliptical, even if they just did it for five minutes every day, they ultimately will lose more weight and will ultimately reach their goals that they set out for themselves just by sticking to the small, smart steps. Hmm. That applies to money, that applies to health, that applies to business, that applies to everything. To me, that book is really, really good. And then another book that I like to recommend, and this is more on the relationship side of how you interact and how you keep relationships, not only with yourself, but with others, is The Four Agreements. Very simple read. Don Miguel Ruiz is the author. The Four Agreements, to me, is one of those... Oh my gosh, it's so simple. Why are we complicating our lives? You know, if we just kind of stick to this, everything else really just kind of revolves around that. And it's, you know, around the Toltec philosophy that you don't make assumptions, you always do your best, keep your word. And, you know, a lot of the things that I already applied, which is, you know, the, the advice that I shared earlier with the people that have mentored me was in that book. I thought, this is so fundamental, you know, and not taking things personal. Those are the four agreements. And I think about those as shields uh, for your energy as you present yourself in the world. I love that because it, as fate would have it, I'm actually staring directly at a copy of the four agreements. And yeah, you know, because it's it's in my office at my place and it's something yeah. that is so foundational, but so simple and our society seems to have moved away from it for some reason. Yeah. What is it at the beginning of the book? It's like, once you read this, you'll realize it's as if you're watching people who are asleep, you know, navigating life as if they're not awake. And after you read the book, it's like waking up. That's literally how I see it. People who are having these toxic relationships, I'm like, it's so simple. If you picked up this book and you really kind of understood these concepts, you wouldn't be having that problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. It really is, folks, like listening, it really is that simple. Number one, be yeah. impeccable with your word. Number two, don't take anything personally. Number three, don't make assumptions. And number four, always do your best. Yeah. Really simple. So if that that's a great resource to consider. Seven Habits of Highly... Oh, yeah, yeah. Franklin yeah. is an inspiration. I, To me, the Franklin Covey Enterprise is a business model. It's a company that we're trying to strive to become like, you know, like a bilingual version of that, where, you know, we take very important concepts, not overcomplicate them, and present them in the most digestible way. Someone from Thunderbird, in fact, this is another link that you and I have to Thunderbird. I'm not a Thunderbird, but I have a lot of friends through you and other folks that I've met. A group came to visit our studio. And they were looking at it and they're like, well, what, what do you do here? I'm like, well, I provide, you know, social media, business content, blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's like you're giving people their medicine hidden in the candy. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool to say it. Yeah. As we're bringing this one to a close here, Edgar, if you could offer our listeners a piece of advice that would help them potentially break free from society's mold or some sort of self-limiting belief that they have been holding on to for too long, like what would that piece of advice be? I think perspective, you know, everybody has a set of glasses that they see life through. If your perspective is not feeding you with energy, with enthusiasm and excitement, if you see the world or you see situations, don't forget you have the ability to change your perspective. You have that thing that you can, you can totally replace belief systems like papers in a notebook. They're not permanent. They can be influenced. And so if you, if you remember that, that you are also a project in its development, then you can start looking at life and start looking at opportunities. I think for me, one of the things that I also practice on a daily basis, and I tell this to all my students, I say, every day I wake up, I look for that blessing in the day. And there are going to be a lot of blessings, but I look for that one thing at the end of the day, I'm going to say, that was the blessing. There it was. There it was. That was the thing. And when you train your mind to look for that, you start becoming even more grateful for everything that's around you. And everything around you becomes an opportunity mm -hmm. so much so that now you have to think about responsible opportunity management which is a book that's going to be coming out very soon hmm. that i'm writing now. how to say no to the wrong things and say yes to the right things because you've shifted your mind in a frequency that now you see everything as an opportunity and i would love to live in a world where everyone lived like that yeah i feel like through your help we're going to make that happen Absolutely. Absolutely. Keep plowing forward on that. The world is, it's struggling right now, but I feel like the possibility of that is within our lifetime, our lifetimes for sure. It's just yeah. a matter of continuing forward. Final question for you, Edgar, is if people want to learn more about you and Compass CVS, where can they follow you and keep an eye on what you're up to? Very active on Facebook. 
So they can find me on Come to CBS on our Facebook page, or I also have a, a Facebook page, Edgar Rafael Olivo. And LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm going to be posting a lot more articles and thoughtful things that I'm going to be posting. So if you want to follow me there on LinkedIn, and then our website. So for everybody listening, www.compasscbs.com. And I'll make sure that all the links to uh, Edgar's social media channels and website are in the show notes. But Edgar, thank you so much for your time today. I've taken a massive quantity of notes while you've been speaking because you said so many thoughtful and important things that I think are important to share with the listener. And I just want to honor and acknowledge you for the challenging, if you will, upbringing that you had, you know, taking tests with bloodied hands to now being able to, in a short period of time, be able to impact 16,000 plus micro entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs into now continuing your education into wanting to be a lawyer, right? To be able to help those folks that really do need the help. You've shared a ton of really, really, really valuable information. And I want to honor your continued hard work and forward to whatever it is that you end up doing, because I know it's going to be massive. Now it's just a matter of more people hearing about you so that it can be impacted by your heart and by your energy and by your zest for life. So thank you so much, Edgar, for being a part of Equal Chance to be Unequal today. Thank you so much, Michael. Every time I talk to you, it's always a great conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I love it too. So thank you everybody for listening today. Uh, And with that, go forth and be awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Equal Chance to Be Unequal. I'm Michael S. Siever. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and like, share, or comment on this podcast on michaelsiever.com, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. Go forth and be awesome.